Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Short Term Show. Today, we have Stacy St. John. I'm really excited to talk to Stacy because she is in a market that we have not talked about yet on the show, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We are actually actively hiring agents there for the Short Term Shop right now. Uh, if anyone is interested in the job, I think we have one. I think we need probably two more. Anyway, it's not about me. It's about Stacy today. So I'll go ahead and bring her on. Stacy, hey, how's it going? Hey, Avery. I am great. I'm so excited to be here with you and, and chat about a market that I love. So thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you so, so much for coming. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into real estate? Oh, gosh. How much time do we have? Um, <laughs> so I actually got into real estate investing by accident. Um, we had purchased a condo for my son to live in in Orlando, Florida. Um, he was going to move there to go to school. Long story short, we bought a condo and a couple weeks after we closed, he came to us and said, hey, mom, dad, I decided I'm not quite ready to move yet. Um, and so we were, you know, stuck, right, with a condo that we had to pivot from having our son live in. Um, long story short, we got a property manager and rented that condo out as a long-term rental. And then we were just kind of scratching our heads, looking at each other when we were watching the, you know, the bank account grow as a result of renting out this condo. And my husband and I said, well, heck, if we're making money with this, let's start investing more, right? So we had uh, actually invested in growing our long-term rental portfolio. And when COVID hit and eviction moratoriums were popping up everywhere, we decided to pivot into the land of short-term rentals. We felt like it was less risk and a better place for us to focus our energy and our resources. So I love it. Awesome. I love when people back into real estate like that. Like, oh, I, I actually did not sit down and decide that I wanted to do this and research it and decide this was the path for me. Uh, I was thrown into it because yeah. my son decided I didn't want to move. So that's really funny. Um, <laughs> That's, uh, it, I gotta say, it wasn't so funny at the time. We said <laughs> a few choice words, but all is well now. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, you know, kids, they change. I, I think my parents probably had that same conversation with each other when I quit college soccer and no longer had a scholarship at an out of state school. So I've, I've been, I've been your son. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Awesome. So tell us, um, tell us. First, tell us what all is in your portfolio right now in your investment portfolio. Sure. So we actually um, have nine beachfront condos in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We um, primarily focus on smaller condos and we can get into to why we've taken that approach. But um, all in oceanfront resorts. We love uh, waking up in the morning and looking at the ocean. And that is um, one of the, the things that our target ideal guests 
um, appreciate as well. So uh, primarily have a mix of efficiencies, one bedrooms and a two bedroom um, oceanfront condo in Myrtle Beach. Awesome. So we have a lot of people get really hung up on bigger properties and bigger properties. They make a ton of money, so they make a lot of sense. And in, from what I've seen, there will be uh, conflicting information. I'm sure, you know, there's an exception to every rule. From what I've seen, the highest return on investment does come at the four bedroom and up mark. But every time I find myself saying that, I have to make a little side disclaimer and say, but one through three will do what you need them to do too. I own a studio and two one bedrooms with lofts that are effectively two bedrooms that I will never sell. I have plenty of equity in them. You know, I could sell them for three times what I bought for them for now, but to buy something bigger, but I never will because they're doing exactly what I want them to do. I'm actually under contract on a one bedroom beachfront condo in Destin right now for more money than I ever thought I would spend even on a two bedroom. But uh, it does work. That small size does work. I've got a great friend who has, I think he's up to like 30 units. He could buy whatever he wanted. Like any property in the world that came on the market, whether it's a one bedroom or a 10, he could buy it. But he only buys one and two bedrooms because that is just the size that he likes. So I, I like that here we're focusing on, on smaller bedrooms and on a market that we haven't talked about yet, because there's a lot of people out there that probably are thinking, oh, well, all I hear about are people buying these four and five bedroom places that I don't have the capital to do right now. But you can, there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with a little property. They're going to do exactly what you need them to do. So I'm really excited to hear about yours. So tell us uh, what, tell us about your first condo deal and why you chose that unit, why you chose that building and why you're choosing to stick to the smaller condos. Sure. So um, when we first um, went to Myrtle Beach to look at properties, quite candidly, we had been researching that market for several months prior to us making that trip. Okay. We had a set of buying criteria that we had already laid out. So we knew what was going to be important to us, but we had some really, um, specific parameters. We were wanting to be on the ocean for under a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. And some people might go, what? And in fact, you know, Fast forward to today, that's really difficult to do in the Myrtle Beach market because prices have increased so much. But back when we began in COVID times, um, we were looking to be on the ocean for under $100,000. We went with the intent of purchasing one condo. Turns out at the end of a weekend trip, we were buying two. <laughs> so we bought two. Um, at the very same time. And one of the things that um, we did, we bought one efficiency and one one bedroom because we were having trouble selecting which particular condo we wanted most or we liked best. They both had great qualities about them. So I looked at my husband and said, let's just buy both. <laughs> Why not, right? If only it were buy one, get one free, that would have been amazing, but it was not. Well, that's, that's really funny. So what made you, so you live in Ohio, right? Correct. 
So what made you go with Myrtle Beach or um, an Atlantic Beach rather than a Gulf of Mexico beach? Sure. So I had outlined on paper what was going to be important for us when we were selecting a market. So for us, we wanted to have a market that was within a day's drive. Um, we felt much more comfortable um, being able to know that we can pop down uh, with a long car ride trip and be able to get to our properties. It, and you, I, the, the second piece that I'll say is I really, really enjoy the Atlantic coast. And so part of building up a portfolio of real estate investments is for us to achieve our business goals, our real estate goals, but for us to also set aside personal goals and really find properties that fit with the life that we want to live, right? So for me, if I have to take uh, a tax tax-free trip to the beach to check on my properties, I want to wake up and hear the sound of the ocean. That is what I love, right? So for me, it's something as basic as what lights me up, feeds my soul. And so we built um, out a, a kind of a vision and a strategy for selecting our market. Candidly, we were looking at Dustin. So we had uh, kind of narrowed it down from Myrtle Beach and uh, compared to Dustin. And for us, just for the mere fact that we wanted to be on the ocean and we had a specific budget in mind, our money would go further for us in Myrtle Beach at the time, which is why we ultimately landed in that specific market. Gotcha. I remember there was the biggest regret of my real estate career right now, a real estate investing career right now. I probably have several as a real estate agent, but um, my biggest regret as a real estate investor is a condo on the beach in Destin at the condo building where my parents met uh, for a hundred. I think we got them down. It was a two bedroom, two bedrooms, got them down to like 140,000. And we just were not at a place in our investing career yet that we were comfortable with uh, HOAs and uh, that we were comfortable with um, just really stretching that far. Like it would have been our last penny for like the fourth time in a row. And we didn't pull the trigger on it. And I, that same condo, 600,000 now, and it had sentimental value to me too, which is terrible advice. Don't ever invest in something based on sentimental value, but the numbers did work and we didn't buy it. And I very much regret not buying that. So let's talk a little bit more about, or first, let me ask you, so are all nine of your condos, are they in the same building or are they in different buildings? They are in different buildings. Uh, we do have a little pocket of Myrtle Beach that we like to invest in. It's called the Golden Mile. Um, it is for us, uh, again, it fits into the, the type of property that we enjoy, meaning it's still got a great location. It's super close to restaurants, you know, shopping attractions, but it's not in what I would call the hubbub, right? Um, so it's a little bit more quiet of an area. And so we are spread out among a couple of buildings within that pocket. We actually just went under contract for a larger property um, up in North Myrtle Beach um, earlier this week. So that will be a fun project that's coming down the pike. And 
be happy to share that with you and why we've chosen to go outside of our our quote normal model um but that is um a little bit again outside of what we normally invest in is the one in north myrtle also a condo or is it a single family it is also a condo yes I really like condos. <laughs> well, what made you decide to veer from your norm then? So as you mentioned, I live in Ohio and uh, we're typically down in Myrtle Beach about once a month. What we are planning to do is actually move down there in a couple of years. And what we decided to do was to invest in a property that we might potentially live in uh, when we choose to move down to that market. So we've chosen to purchase that property now so that someone else is paying our mortgage for us for the next several years before we make the move. So it was merely, um, again, a blend of personal um, goals that we wanted to accomplish, but also from a real estate investing standpoint, anytime I can have someone else pay my mortgage, I love that idea. <laughs> that is also a really smart move. Okay. So back to the condo building. So you own nine across like what, two or three buildings? Yeah, two buildings. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about HOAs because a lot of people run screaming away from condos because condos have condo fees. Tell me about what you're paying in condo fees and why condo and HOA fees do not scare you away. Yeah. It is very easy to have sticker shock when you look at HOA fees. And we are in resorts, right? So a traditional condo building may have a lower HOA fee. We are in a resort setting, so we typically have a higher um, HOA fee. The reason why it doesn't scare me is within these resorts, and again, every resort is different, but within the resorts that we have invested in, the HOA fees actually include pretty much everything that you need. So it's not only the maintenance of the property itself, the grounds, the pool, um, the parking garages, things like that, but it also includes your electric, your water, your cable, your Wi-Fi, your trash. In one of the buildings we invest in, it also includes your HO6 policy. So the way that I look at it is, if I were paying a lower HOA fee that didn't include all those things, I would then have to be paying a separate payment to, you know, the utility company, the water company, the cable company, so that ultimately I might be paying a little bit more, but I like the convenience and I like the fact that it's a flat fee. So if a guest comes into my property and takes four hot showers a day, I don't have a water bill that's through the roof, you know, that month. So again, I like the fact that it's one flat fee. Now, someone else might go, oh, whoa, you know, that's not for me. And that's okay. You know, I would encourage any of your listeners to, again, have an understanding of what they feel comfortable with, what feels good as far as a real estate investment, but also kind of checks and ticks their boxes. And if it doesn't feel good, don't do it, you know? 
I totally agree with that. You you really do have to analyze what the HOA fee covers. So it's really easy to be looking at a cool property and then see an HOA fee of $500 a month and go, oh, well, that doesn't make sense. That's going to kill my cash flow and then stop. But if you take a few steps further and say, oh, well, this 200, I mean, sorry, this $500 HOA fee is covering what my internet and cable bill would be, which for me in my two bedrooms is 150 bucks a month. Uh, it's covering water. You've got access like the one that I'm sitting in right now actually has a $500 a month HOA fee and I have three heated pools and I have deeded beach access and it covers the exterior maintenance and the exterior insurance of the unit. So you really just want to make sure that you are looking at what the condo fees cover than just stopping at that number and saying, oh, the numbers don't work. Because a lot of times they're paying for a lot of stuff that you would already be paying for anyway. And uh, it really can kind of all come out in the wash. So that's really, really good advice. Yeah. I think the other thing too, that was a comfort level to us is within a condo, as you know, you own from the walls in. And so we don't have to put as much in reserves because we don't have, you know, potential roofs that we need to replace. We don't have potential structural issues or foundation issues that we need to tackle. So again, for us, it was knowing that we're not in the local market where we're investing. It was a little bit of a, um, a breath of fresh air or a relief for us that the exterior of the property was maintained by someone else and and we're responsible if you will for the interior walls but from a budgetary perspective we don't have to have quite as much in reserves that's really nice so a big thing that a lot of people are worried about with condos and they're buying condos is a potential upcoming assessment uh, talk to me a little bit about how that works in the Myrtle Beach market. So in some of the condo markets that I've bought in, there is a place on the contract where you can say, hey, I, I the buyer, want the seller to pay any upcoming assessments that, that are known now, or I plan to pay those. How's that typically handled in that market? Yeah, same type of thing. You know, if there is a current assessment and you're purchasing a condo with a current assessment, you could request that the seller uh, pay those assessments. Some of the resorts actually have assessments that, you know, are for uh, rehabbing the property. Well, you know, again, you want to look at is this assessment from a price point perspective, does it align with what I would pay to rehab a property? There's a, a building very close to where we invest where their assessment was to the tune of like $30,000 to rehab um, the interior of all the units. Well, the units are gorgeous, but as you all well know, if you are rehabbing a, a studio condo, you're probably not spending 30K, right? And so again, looking at those assessments and looking at the overall price that you're paying for those is something that you're gonna wanna pay close attention to. But then secondarily, um, the assessments are there for a reason to make sure that your building is in tip top shape. And so the way that I look at it, you know, heaven forbid, you know, if someone were to go back several years ago and, and look at that building that actually collapsed down in Southeast Florida, you know, what could they have done to prevent or to better assess the structure of that building? Would it have 
resulted in an assessment for their owners? Maybe, but I'd sure like to pay that assessment, right? Um, so again, it's really the framework and the perspective that you know, you have to look at each specific situation and understand, is this right for me? Do I feel comfortable with it? Um, and if you don't know the answer to that, talk to fellow neighbors, talk to other owners in the building, talk to other folks who are investing in that market and get their perspective as well. Yeah, that's that's a very, very good point. And you, I mean, I honestly would rather have a small assessment every few years or even yearly than letting it get to a really, really bad point. Like I actually just heard yesterday, there's a big condo building over in Panama city down the street or down probably 20 miles down the road from me. And their HOA voted two nights ago to pass an assessment for $100 million in repairs that need to be done, which comes out to about 142,000 per unit because it's 700 unit building. So I would almost rather a yearly assessment to for upkeep to keep from getting to that point. So, you know, almost just like a, a maintenance fee, like, yeah, the HOA is for all that. And then at the end of the year, like what repairs do we need? Let's get ahead of this before it gets, gets really bad. So I think people get scared of assessments because they hear stories like that. And they're like, oh my God, I don't want to buy in a condo. But when it's a building that's that big, that's something you have to think about. A build Repairs on a 700 unit building are going to be more than repairs on a 50 unit building. So it's something to think about when you're buying in these big buildings. But then also, if you're buying in a huge building, there are more owners to spread those repairs out over, but just something to think about when you're buying and, and analyzing like, well, have there been any assessments lately? That, well, yeah, there were two last year. I might feel a little better about that than, oh, there haven't been any in 20 years. So yeah, I think that's a really good point, Avery. And, and the other thing I just want to mention about that is if there are no assessments, right? Think about what that could potentially do to your property values or the ability to resell your property down the line. So as a very real example, I, again, my husband and I were looking for a three bedroom condo in North Myrtle Beach. And we found a property that we loved the interior of. And when we actually dug into that uh, a little deeper, what we found was that the building itself hadn't had any assessments in quite some time and now was under structural duress and they were having to uh, again deal with that structure of the building and I, I say that because immediately we just decided that, you know we don't want to get into this we're going to move on to something else well it's an unfortunate situation because had there been assessments over the years that would have proactively kept that building in tip top shape, you know, um, the owners of that building might be sitting in a prettier position today with the ability to resell. Absolutely. So do you have any assessment stories? Have you had any big ones hit you yet? You know, we actually, our first two condos that we purchased had an active assessment when we bought it we knew that that assessment was getting ready to fall off. So I've been on kind of the, the bonus side of it where I'm buying at the end of the assessment. And for two years, my HOA fees in that building have gone down. <laughs> so, 
you know, when you can score score those, that's that's fun and exciting. But thankfully, you know, I haven't had any horror stories when it comes to assessments. Um, in one of the other buildings I own in, in one of the towers, we do have an assessment actively this year to uh, focus on elevator maintenance. And again, to me, if the elevators aren't working, your guests are not going to be happy, right? So I would much rather pay that assessment and have happy guests than have, you know, guests complaining or potentially leaving a negative review about the property because they can't, you know, get up and down an elevator easily. 100% agree. You would much rather have the assessments than unhappy guests for sure. So let's talk about the other, the last elephant in the room when it comes to condos, financing. So a lot of people steer clear of condos in these types of markets because they are non-warrantable. And so for those of you who are listening, a non-warrantable condo, uh, well, it's a, it's a number of things, but to you guys, the most important thing is that it is a certain percentage investor owned versus primary homeowners. Uh, so if it's mostly investors, then it's probably going to be what's called non-warrantable. So any big resort areas, most of the condo buildings are going to be non-warrantable. And unfortunately, there's no way to know upfront or for your agent to know. It all depends on how the HOA contact fills out what's called a condo questionnaire with the lender and how that loan officer interprets those answers. So uh, it's not a situation where I see a lot of people sometimes they'll get to the end of thinking maybe the condo's warrantable and then it's not. And then they're mad at their agent because their agent should have known it's it's not warrantable. But it really has nothing to do with that. It's all about how the loan officer interprets the answers to the condo questionnaire. So keep that in mind that there's kind of no guarantees if you're trying to make some for something that's uh something to be warrantable that might not be, you might run into that at the end of financing. And so the problem that people run into with non-warrantable condos is that they are not conventionally financeable. So you cannot get a conventional loan on them. So a lot of lenders won't lend on them. Um, and the minimum typically, and I'm about to ask Stacy some questions about this, that you can put down on a non-warrantable condo will be 20%. You will probably have to get a commercial loan or some type of portfolio loan. It is nothing to be scared of. Not conventionally financeable is not something to be scared of. Every investor who has more than 10 conventional loans is going to eventually have to get uh, either commercial or portfolio loans. So lots and lots of people getting all these types of loans all the time. So newbies do not be scared of the fact that these cannot be conventionally financed. So it's not too crazy. Anyway, all of that explanation. So Stacy, how are you financing your condos? Yeah, they are through commercial loans. Um, I have each of my properties in individual LLCs. So that might be a little bit uh, shocking to hear because I know a lot of folks really, really try to maximize what they can uh, finance from a conventional standpoint before they move into commercial loans. We chose to go a little bit of a different route just for the fact that from a risk mitigation perspective, um, we felt more comfortable with having each individual property in its own LLC um, in case, heaven forbid, something happened and, you know, we were sued. Um, you know, only the assets within that LLC would be up for grabs, if you will, to pay for potential damages. Um, so because we already 
had the, the forethought of having our properties in LLCs, commercial loans are what made sense for us. Now, secondarily within uh, these resorts, many of them are called condo tells, which means that they have a front desk check-in that some people, when they rent through the resort itself, they're going straight to that front desk. Well, um, those are also very difficult to find financing for. There are absolutely resources that can finance condo tells. Um, I would recommend starting out with um, you know, resources in your local market. Uh, oftentimes their local mortgage companies, local community banks and credit unions have programs that, um, again, if you're in a market where there is a, a prevalence of resorts or condo tells, chances are you're gonna be able to find some, some good resources there locally. I am putting 25% down for, um, for my loans. Um, and so it is, you know, a tough pill to swallow sometimes, but again, I look at it as, uh, a risk that I'm willing to take from a cash flow perspective, um, meaning not conserving my cash as much, but also knowing that when I go to sell those properties, I'll, I might be pleasantly surprised when I see that HUD statement. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think there are. I've seen, at least down here, I don't do any business in Myrtle Beach yet, but at least down in the panhandle of Florida, there are some local lenders that will do a little bit less down on a non-warrantable condo, like 20. Uh, there was one who was doing 10% up until a few months ago, uh, and every now and then you can find one that will do 15, but it's, de it's definitely something that you do have to go with a small local bank. At least I'm always looking for more loan products and more things that we can add to the mortgage shop, but I have not found anything yet uh, in terms of lower than 20% down non-warrantable. So if you guys are buying a condo, just keep in mind, you're probably going to have to put 20% down, but don't be scared of that. I know people get so wrapped up in putting no or low money down, no or low money down. Like who cares? Your cash flow is going to be higher if you put down 20. So there's really no, it's not the wrong thing to do. People get so scared of just a regular 20% down, down payment. And it's just not a big deal. Right. Right. Totally agree. I think where I have um, really been trying to explore from a scalability perspective is because we are putting down larger down payments, you know, you have to be able to plan for that when that glass ceiling is going to hit from when are our cash funds going to, you know, be in a position where we might need to bring in partners or bring in, you know, folks who invest alongside us um, so that you can continue to have those down payment resources available. Absolutely. So what kind of cash flow or return on investment are you seeing on these things typically? I know you have different sizes. You probably pay different purchase prices for each, but what are you seeing typically? Yeah. I mean, I will say my numbers are much stronger probably than most who are buying today. And I say that uh, because I have been very fortunate in buying ugly condos. <laughs> so my model has been to not only buy small condos, but buy ones that are not performing well and that are ugly, right? And what we do is we'll go in and rehab those condos um, 
typically we're not doing things like tearing down walls or anything like that, but we are doing new kitchens, new bathrooms, paint, flooring, obviously staging them and furnishing them to be a strong short-term rental. So with the with the smaller condos, as you might imagine, we've got smaller rehab costs. So just as a very um, real example for, um, for one of my condos, Oceanfront, I paid $90,000 for, okay? Um, my gross rents for that condo last year were to the tune of about $37,000. Um, and that's not including cleaning fees, that's just gross rents. Um, another condo, Oceanfront, I paid $79,000 for, um, actually less than a year ago. And I have grossed in revenue, rent revenue alone, um, almost $40,000 um, oh, wow. in the last several months. So yeah, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, that is fun. That is fun. And that's a really good point too about the ugly condos because I've done rehabs on big properties. Like we just finished a rehab on a 26 unit apartment building. And now we're buying this little condo in Destin and it is in a tiny condo building. There's only 23 units, I think, but it looks like an old converted like 70s roadside beachside motel. It's really cool. It has this really retro vibe. And my door is 15 steps from the sand where you plop your beach chair down and have yourself a really nice day. It's really small. It's like 550 square feet. But, you know, coming from just doing a 26 unit apartment building rehab to a little rehab, I mean, and it is ugly. It is so gross. It's like the ugliest thing you've ever seen. But that is so affordable to rehab compared to some of the other ones that we've done. That is really just the the proximity to the beach right there is really what is going to make this condo rent really well. And uh, we're really, really looking forward to, I've got some big plans for the rehab on this little guy. That's, uh, well, you got to tell me what, do you, like, what, what's in your <laughs> plan here? That's fun to talk about. Yeah, yeah. So since it is kind of a mid-century modern converted motel feel, it is, uh, we're going to go with that theme for the decor. I mean, right now it's got mirrors on the walls and uh, things like that, but um it's, it's, I don't know exactly what we're going to do, but we're going to go with like some cool vintage wallpaper and things like that. Awesome. I love it. I love it. So yeah, I mean, rehabbing condos, um, that are smaller, you know, it, I, I do enjoy that not only from a budget perspective because the the rehab budgets are smaller but also it can be really fast right you can get in and out of those so quickly and time is money in the world of real estate investing right so the faster we can get that property listed the better so you know i also like the speed at which we're able to rehab them as well i didn't even think about it being faster but yeah i guess you're right less to do <laughs> Well, that's a great strategy. This is a very, very interesting strategy. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to be like, oh, why didn't I think of that? I'm going to do this now. <laughs> well, cool. Stacy. thank you so much for coming on. We're to the last three questions of the show that we ask everyone. And the first one is what advice, knowing what you know now, would you give 20-year-old Stacy? Ooh, 
20 year old Stacy, are we just talking about real estate investing? Are we talking about life in general? <laughs> Maybe life in general, whatever you, whatever you want. Okay. So my advice to 20 year old Stacy would be to understand that your mind is really powerful and it's really easy to get stressed out and tell yourself that you're stressed out. And then um, it's this big spiral of a stressed out life that you have. And I came from the corporate world into the, the land of short-term rentals. And I lived a stressed out life for a really long time. And there are stressful things that happen in short-term rentals as well. But I think as long as we have the proper mindset and proper um, attitude um, to how we approach those situations, it's really, really helpful um, to stay positive and know that every every experience is a learning opportunity. So that would be my advice to 20-year-old Stacy. Very good advice. My advice to 20-year-old Avery would just be like, stop being such an idiot. But um, <laughs> <laughs> much better advice that you're giving yourself. Uh, okay. So this question is along the same lines. What advice would you give a new investor who's trying to get started today? Ooh, that's a good one. So my advice to new investors would be to sit down and write down what you're wanting out of your real estate investing, right? So it sounds again, it sounds very basic, but really, really get clear on your goals, where you want your investing and your life to be in five years, where you want it to be then in three years. What do we have to accomplish in three years in order to hit our five-year goal? Back it up again. What do we have to do at the end of this year, right? In the next 12 months, so that we're going to be on track to hit our three-year mark. So it's really about writing down your vision for your future and reverse engineering your success. Um, and then also surrounding yourself with people who can help you along the way. So once you have your goals, you know, make sure you've got your skills, your systems, your, your daily actions all um, kind of aligned with your goals. But engage people who can help you. And Avery, I know that you and your team are just that, right? So you're experts in this industry surrounding yourself with people who who have been there, done that, and can provide insight and advice along the way is invaluable. That is very good advice as well. And last question, what is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? Okay, um, so my favorite book is by an author by the name of John Asaroff, and it's called Inner Size, and it is rewiring your brain. So through this book, um, I actually learned a series of exercises for your mindset, okay? But he calls them inner sizes because they obviously take place inside our mind. So it is, it was life-changing, literally life-changing for me. Um, I actually went through that book and read it and listened to it several times. I continued to leverage the techniques that I learned in that book. Um, so I would highly encourage anyone who wants to um, retrain their brain and rewire it for success to check that out. 
That's the new one. I have not heard that one mentioned anywhere. So I'm definitely going to check that out. I love, I love new book recommendations. So awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Awesome. Well, Stacy, that is the end of it for us. Is there anywhere that uh, if anyone wants to reach out to you that you can be found or it's totally fine to say, please don't reach out to me. I do not want to be bothered. <laughs> you are more than welcome to reach out to me. Um, you know, I am on Facebook. Uh, one of my goals for 2022 is I need to be on Instagram. So you can reach out to me on Instagram, but it might take me a little bit because I, I need to learn how to use it first. But um, I'm on Facebook. You can definitely look me up. I um, have a Facebook group for women um, in short-term rentals. So definitely check that out. But always, always happy to connect. Our website in Myrtle Beach is stayinmyrtlebeach.com. So if you have any questions, obviously, you're always welcome to reach me there as well. Awesome. Well, Stacey, thanks again so much for coming on and we'll catch you later.